2: In these walls, another kiss goes on, so
0: After I left Joe's house last night, I lost time. I don't remember making it home or leaving after I did. I woke up naked again, body slicked with mud and blood. There was flesh under my nails. Not enough to identify the source, but did it matter? I've seen the news reports. The incident at Gorgonestas wasn't a one-off thing. It's been happening every night in multiple locations in the city. I can't help but think it has something to do with me. It sounds insane, and it couldn't possibly be true. Animal attacks in the city? That doesn't even happen. You'd have to go to the wastelands outside of town just to spot a coyote. Another concern, something in me has changed. I don't feel scared anymore about anything. I used to work myself into a ball of anxiety thinking of Frank being gone and ending up dead or not being able to run Lady Justice without him or Sam. Now, I know I could handle it. But ironically, my confidence made me uneasy. I sat in my car outside of a public park downtown. I was going to meet a friend of Joe's for the file on the massacre case. I needed to find out what happened. Maybe I would stumble on some answer what's happening to me or where Ricky's been his mother said he never came home not that it wasn't normal for Ricky to be gone a couple days but this felt different The car pulled to the side of the road down the street after a few moments went by the vehicle flashed its lights at me I guess that was the sign I was looking for I tipped my hat brim over my eyes and got out of the car I was hoping to be as clandestine as possible. I didn't want someone else who helped me to get booted like Joe. Approaching the car, I saw a window was down, and it looked like a detective in his work attire with scruffy red beard and unkempt hair. I guess I overdressed?
1: Hey, Dusty. Despite how things went down with Joe, most of us don't hold it against you guys. Nobody got hurt. At least, no more than a couple of stitches. Honestly... We're just glad a killer is off the streets.
0: Just don't make a
1: habit of upstaging us, eh?
0: Uh, no sir. That was all Frank. He's the hero.
1: I'm Detective Reynolds, by the way.
0: Nice to meet ya. What do you need this for, anyways? Just cross-referencing some things for a missing person. I'm probably overreacting, but, you know, just in case.
1: Right. Well... Listen comes more than a missing person, you call me. I work in Vice, but I can help you with whatever.
0: Okay? I nodded and took his card. I tossed him a half-smile and headed back to my car. I heard him peel out and U-turn behind me speeding down the street. That meeting was anything but secretive. Maybe Vice cops were a different breed, or, or maybe it was a Quirk exclusive to Reynolds. When I pulled the handle on my car door, I noticed a car running down the street without lights on. When I turned to face the car, the lights came on bright and it sped past me at lightning speed, like it was warning me to mind my own business. Okay, so, maybe I wasn't completely devoid of fear. Seeing such strange behavior left me paranoid and constantly looking in the rear view for someone tailing me. Was someone trying to stop me from talking to the cops? Maybe it was someone who saw me get away from Starelli's safe house. It might have been a detective working for a case, or one of the two crime families. I was hoping, in vain, that it was just a reckless driver. Maybe drunk or pissed off from losing a bet at the track. Yeah, I'll bet it was just a coincidence. I was pretty eager to take a look at these files. Hopefully to exonerate myself. My missing time and even being naked in a park could be side effects of an untreated concussion, right? How could I explain away the blood, though? I sat down at Frank's desk and untied the band holding the envelope together. The initial report of the scene was pretty vague. Animal attack was circled with a question mark. There were hairs found at the scene. Notes on this particular evidence suggested the hair was fur, belonging to a wolf or a large dog. Well, I guess that cleared me, right? So why don't I feel better? Combing through more of the notes, only Sterelli and his henchmen died. Witness statements claimed to hear an animal like a bear or a wolf, but no one saw it firsthand or were approached by it. On a sheet, there was contact information for a witness except one. A busboy named Clark Linden. There was an address. I suppose that's as good of a lead as any. I folded up the paper and pocketed it. When I stood up I knocked over the folder and a photo slipped out that I hadn't noticed. Among the images of eviscerated criminals, there was a picture of a medallion. The one those brutes pointed at me jokingly casting a spell. After remembering that vividly. I didn't feel so bad about them not making it out of there. The large coin was silver inlaid with Latin script. It had the face of a wolf on one side and a featureless man on the other. The strength to destroy your enemies. Hmm. The strange collector's item was in an evidence locker at the precinct. I used up my favors for now, but maybe in a couple days I could reach out to Reynolds maybe butter him up with a free lunch, but in the meantime, I had a house call to make for a busboy. I needed to get the heat fixed on this junker tomorrow morning, so I don't want to be out too late tonight. My eyes floated between the road in front of me and my mirrors. I didn't know if I was seeing things, but a few cars behind me it looked like the same gray sedan that almost hit me earlier. No, I'm just paranoid. I was now about halfway to Clarkson, sitting at a stoplight. The two red cars behind me turned right as I went through the intersection. Maybe I wasn't going crazy after all. There was a gray car, the gray car. I took an unnecessary left turn onto a side street. So did the gray car. I took a right at the next block. Just when I thought it was clear, they rounded the right turn as well. My pursuer was keeping a farther distance, but I had already caught on. I made yet another right, essentially making a circle, when I saw the headlights I bolted out onto the main road and picked up speed. Weaving in between cars I blew through a light blossoming red from yellow. In the sea of cars behind me the gray one sat defeated locked into a full stop. I stuck my hand out of the window and waved goodbye. I'm not one for showboating. However, the adrenaline of evading my stalker had me riding a high. I drove around Clark Street for a few minutes. If I was still being followed, I didn't want to involve him. The roads were empty aside from the cars that were already parked there. I pulled over and got out in front of Clark's apartment complex. I rang the buzzer for Unit 4C. No reply. I buzzed in again. Nothing.
2: A lot of visitors today, huh, Roger? Ah! Visitors? Oh, yeah. A group of fellas just came in a bit ago. They said they were here to surprise Clark for his birthday. He's a quiet kid. I didn't think he had this many friends. If you're here for him, give him my best, will ya?
0: Oh, uh... Sure, I can do that.
2: Now, Roger, you stay
0: with him. I hoped I wasn't crashing an intimate party. That sure would be awkward. Hopefully, he can make time for a couple simple questions, especially before the police get to him. I walked over to the elevator and hit the up button. It opened instantly. I went inside and pressed number four a few times until it illuminated. On the ride up, I thought to myself if Clark was an introvert like his neighbor said, why would there be a party? Wouldn't his friends know better? Maybe they were the pushy kind? I reached the fourth floor, and the elevator door opened with a ding. As I started down the hall, I saw a few of the partygoers stumbling towards me. There were two large guys propping up a smaller guy in between them. He looked unconscious. There was a fourth man walking behind a few paces, closing a door behind him. That was clark's apartment music was playing loudly in there but i had a feeling no one was partying inside as i passed the men in the hall i tried my best not to make eye contact and to subtly allow my coat to cover up as much of my face as it could i couldn't fight the urge to glance up to see if the passed out man could have been clark my eyes met one of the brutes carrying him he was bald with a gold tooth and wide shouldered like a fortress of muscle He had to have been almost seven feet tall. His facial features seemed hard and rugged, but he gave me a soft smile almost like his sincerity was genuine.
1: Our buddy Clark just never knows when to stop drinking. (laughs)
0: Alright, buddy, let's get you home and in bed.
1: I thought Clark lived in 4C. Uh, yeah, well, he does, but he just got out of a bad relationship, so he's going to stay with us for
0: a few days. Oh, that's nice of you taking care of a friend like that. I live just across the hall if you guys need anything.
1: I think we got this under control, but I appreciate that.
0: We didn't believe a word we said to each other. I'm just glad I could think on my feet. I could feel their eyes on me suspiciously as I walked to the door across from 4C. I pulled out my keys and went searching for a key that wasn't there. They stopped in the elevator and I acted like I found my key to nowhere. As the elevator door drew to a close, I stopped mimicking my return home and ran to the stairs. That was Clark, and whatever these guys wanted with him was not going to be good news. I rushed down the stairwell until I hit the ground floor. Before I opened the door, I peered through a small slit of a window in it. Clark was being dragged out into the street. I moved to the front door to keep them in sight. The smaller man got in the back seat, taking a pistol out of his holster and setting it on his lap. The larger men hurled Clark in the back and closed the seat packing before hopping in themselves. They started their car, so I went outside and ran for mine. I wasn't sure what I was going to be able to do to save Clark, but I had to try. Frank would have done the same thing.
3: Watched the headlights dance atop rocks and the sparse shrubbery. The moon was waning and with it our time to stop Cordelia. The new moon would be tomorrow night. Our last chance to put an end to this awful saga. She needs the answer for unleashing Jonah on the city. For destroying innocent lives. For Lady... When God has left
1: the world to devils.
4: <laughs> What's so funny about that?
1: The melodrama. The exposition. It's all quite comical. Not the portal to hell in impending doom part, of course. But rest assured, the Siren's plans will not come to fruition. I'll see to that. Yes,
4: we will...
3: So, Andras, how close are we? We are quite close to the catalyst now. Just a few more miles. He was right. After a couple miles, we rolled into a quiet town. But it was unnaturally quiet. A giant tree stood mightily in the town square. I assumed this was the catalyst. The ancient tree acting as a fountain of celestial energy. There was no one around the tree. No one around at all. Even though it was a small town, I expected a nosy old lady staring us down, or a handful of drunkards propping themselves up outside of the bar. I had my fill of ghost towns already, and I wasn't looking forward to another. We pulled into a lot beside a cafe. The buildings weren't particularly old or foreboding, Clean, well-tended gardens filled with mums lining the outside of the cafe. Inviting you in for a sandwich and a cold soda. There is a light on inside, which I assumed is why Ulysses stopped there.
4: Alright, gentlemen. We're a little bit early for the ritual, but it doesn't mean we can't get the party started.
3: Yeah, it looks like a real party town.
4: I think we've learned that looks can be deceiving, Frank.
3: I figured Ulysses was referencing the ghost town we left, but the look he shot at the back of Andras's head cued a different thought. I guess I had noticed that there was some subtle tension between the two, but I didn't see it as a problem before. There was always a possibility that Andras wasn't exactly who he said he was, but as far as trust went, I gave mine to Andras when he saved me. He put himself in harm's way twice but Ulysses obviously didn't feel so indebted to him. Maybe it was a supernatural friction of some kind. It was a world that I was still pretty much unaware of. I'm sure we're
4: all hungry considering the past day's events, so let's head into this restaurant and see what's on the menu. Andros, you haven't eaten in hundreds of years, so I'm sure
1: you're famished. I don't require sustenance the same way you do. But properly prepared food is quite the earthly pleasure.
3: When we walked inside, it was dead quiet. There were patrons in the booths, waitresses holding drink and food, and the cook had a spatula on the grill, but none of them moved. I looked at the tables, individually, and their food was rotten. Flies swarmed around curdled milkshakes and moldy steaks. The cook had blisters and serious burns climbing up his arm that was close to the grill. What the hell is going on? Hello? Can anyone hear me or see me? Can any of you move? Help us.
2: Help us.
3: A diner at the farthest corner of the restaurant was calling out, at least as best she could. She was still mostly frozen in place, but her mouth and eyes moved slowly.
2: can not can
3: Ma'am, tell me what- As Ulysses stepped forward in order to tend to the woman, he was frozen in place just like the other patrons. My eyes darted around the room. I couldn't find whatever was doing this, so I went to grab Ulysses to try and pull him away from the center of the restaurant. Before I could lay my hands on him, Andras grabbed me from behind and tossed me out towards the street. He did so with almost no effort at all. But why did he throw me out? Was it to protect me? Or was he revealing his true nature and betraying us? I heard sounds of clattering, breaking plates and glasses as I headed back for the doorway. When I made it through the frame, I watched Andras snap a candelabra over his knee and stomp out the flames. All of a sudden, the room came to life with moans of pain and disorientation. The cook writhed in pain. People ran out of the cafe, vomiting and retching. An elderly man didn't move at all. And I've seen enough death in my life to know when someone's gone. What happened? How did you stop it, Andras?
1: You can keep this as a souvenir.
3: What the hell is this? Ulysses? <coughs>
4: Yes, I'm all right, Frank. Thanks for your consideration. That would be a hand of glory. A severed hand fashioned into a candle. Lighting the wicks at the tips of the fingers suspends everyone around it. Nasty stuff, really. Everyone here could have died. They were already starved and dehydrated. They've been stuck for a few days,
1: at least. It seems our siren is resourceful. She's
3: an ancient one. I'll be sure to make that annotation on her headstone." Ulysses went over to the cook to wrap his arm in a cool wet towel, rubbing some of his mysterious mash on the blisters. I knew it would work like a charm since it brought me back from the brink of death once before. The woman who tried to warn us seemed the least affected by the Hand of Glory. She stumbled forward.
2: In the basement. Tree roots broke through the wall, opened a strange hole, like a
0: small cave. A woman and a group of men went down there. They, they did this to us. The candle stopped us. The-
1: well then, let's go deal with this siren.
3: Do they not have manners in heaven? Andras ignored me and kept walking down the hall towards the basement steps. Not very angelic of them. I lifted the woman up and put her in a booth. I would try to do more for her when I came back, but Andras was right. We had a pressing matter. My eyes met Ulysses and I motioned for him to follow. He assured his patient and joined me. The basement looked pretty normal. Pantries lined with canned goods. Shelves of storage for odds and ends. In the far corner of the room, a collapsed cement wall was brushed aside with veiny wooden tendrils, sprawling across the floor and ceiling. A gaping dark hole beckoned us forth. Well, gentlemen,
4: this may be our last rest, so if there's any prepper- Out of
1: my way, goat.
4: Asians. Well, then. I'm
3: starting to think angels are assholes.
4: No argument from me.
3: Well, let's go. We're as ready as we can be. The path was lit ahead by some strange moss, its bioluminescence creating a soft, pulsing glow, like it reflected the heartbeat of the Earth, which was definitely beating a lot slower than mine. Thoughts of revenge, loss, and everything in between went through my head. We could finally put an end to this awful chapter. We approached the opening to a large chamber, reminiscent of the prison under the chapel as if they were created around the same time. The glowing moss was everywhere here, wall to wall. Even brighter than the vegetation was the fire flickering at the edge of the large room. There was a hum of chanting that had to be Cordelia and her goons. I quickened my pace, but I still couldn't match that of Andras. Could he have possibly hated Cordelia more than me? Was his motivation just strictly revenge? for leaving him trapped in his cage?
1: Pick up the pace so there won't be any glory left for the rest of you. Well,
4: I don't fancy myself some bloodlusted champion.
3: You better leave me some scraps. Cordelia has taken everything from me.
2: Hello, boys. Where are your friends? Did Jonah protect them?
1: I'll enjoy... severing that viper's tongue from your mouth.
2: Wait a minute, how did you get out? Did you idiots let this monster out? No, you fools, he will kill us all. Get him, boys, go for Andres first.
3: Cordelia ran back to her altar by the fire, dumping blood feverishly around it. Chanting faster and faster, a wall of burly guardians charged at Andras with billy clubs and brass knuckles. More piled on with machetes and knives. Ulysses used the butt of his crossbow to trace a circle in the dirt. I didn't know what he was up to, but I turned my focus to Cordelia. It didn't look like Andras needed our help anyways. As I rounded the fire to meet Cordelia, she finished chanting and tapped on a mirror with runes written in blood. Something was wrong. It didn't seem like our plan worked.
2: No, 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 no. Come on, come on.
3: You ruined my life.
2: Lives like yours are a dime a dozen, honey. Either help me or leave.
3: You got lady killed.
2: Take it up with Jonah. I didn't kill anyone. Now, hands off the dress. I just had it cleaned
3: shut up and tell me what it was for what was it for all of this for what (laughs) it didn't even work all those people died for nothing
2: you gotta let me go he's gonna kill us both
3: i dropped cordelia back down to the ground i wanted to beat her into a bloody pulp but why was she so scared of andras she should be scared of me but the fear in her eyes extracted the tiniest grain of sympathy from what was left of my withered soul. What do you mean he'll kill us all? You mean he'll kill you? Because you're evil incarnate, and he's an angel? That sounds like balance to me. Like the scales of justice are finally being set even. I pulled down my pistol, cocking back the hammer, and setting the barrel right up against Cordelia's forehead, but her eyes flicked over to Andras's direction. Look at me. I'm the one who has the fucking gun to your head. You should be scared of me. Now tell me. What were you planning to do? What's this disgusting ritual for?
2: He is not an angel. It really was for nothing.
3: Her face went from panic to expressionless. Blood spattered out of her mouth. Choking, she put her hand into mine and squeezed tight. Andras had plunged a machete into her stomach. What the hell are you doing? I was questioning her. I'm done wasting time with diplomacy. Cordelia let go of my hand as Andras pulled her up by her hair. He tilted her head over the fire where the blood pooled at its basin. He lifted her up, further stretching her neck.
1: You're a disgusting abomination. A malformed bitch, tugging at the sleeves of the truly powerful... The thing about ancient transportation spells is that they always require... ...a bit... ...more...
3: ...blood. Andras, soaked in Siren's blood, repeated Cordelia's chant, and touched the mirror. It instantly became a window, but on the other side was only dark, shuffling miasma, some of it escaping the mirror in thick, billowing chunks, taking twice as long as smoke to dissipate. Cordelia was right. Andras was not an angel. There's no way an angel would be this ruthless. He enjoyed bloodshed, savored it. He smiled at me, reaching into the mirror, pulling out a long, black box. I was completely in awe of what I was seeing. After inspecting the box, Andras lifted his gaze to me and held out his hand. Don't be shy. As As long long as you you don't stand stand in in my way, there's nothing to worry about. about. I looked down to see Cordelia place a key in my left hand. I put it in my pocket as arms jutted from behind me, grasping my chest and pulling me backwards. It was Ulysses. Andras slumbered towards us, and I shot every round of my gun, stumbling backwards, falling, guided by my satyr friend. Sorry, Frank,
1: but you can't hurt me. Even being a lesser demon, I can't be killed by mortal weaponry. I will admit it stings a little, but you won't even so much as break my skin before
3: I snap your spine. Andras was rejected by an aura of some kind of flashing blue, only visible for a fleeting moment. I looked down to see we were laying in the middle of that circle that Ulysses carved into the ground.
4: Well, this circle only keeps out demons, so it turns out my suspicions were correct. I knew something was off about you, Andras. (laughs)
1: <laughs> now or later it really doesn't matter when I kill you
3: Andras gave up on us and walked towards Cordelia's body searching it for something I'm assuming he was looking for the key I held and must have went to that black box hmm. looks well, like I, I have some hunting hunting to do Andras strode past us emanating arrogance practically corrupting the ground he walked on We didn't move from our barrier for hours. We didn't want to take any chances.
4: Frank, Cordelia is still alive. I know how you feel about her, but she may be the only one who knows how to stop Andras. I may be
3: able to save her. Fine, but I'm not carrying her ass back to the car. Well, stranger, we appreciate you stopping by to spend some time with us in the shadows. If you want more Neon Shadows, head over to at NeonShadowsPod on all social media. And check out our Patreon. That's patreon.com NeonShadowsPod. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. The cast of this episode was Dusty Willis. Voiced by Dan Faulkner Sam, voiced by Ellie Hirschman Gareth, voiced by David Alt, Cordelia, voiced by Amber Wren Diner Patron, voiced by Blythe Renee Frank Dixon, voiced by Ian Knowles Andras, voiced by Tim Duplissy, Ulysses, voiced by Sean Goodrich Detective Reynolds, voiced by Christian Reeve The theme song is Neon Shadows, performed by Amber Wren, written by Tyler Brown and Ian Knowles. Neon Shadows was created and written by Ian Knowles. All rights reserved. Copyright Blunderbuss Studios 2021. Reuse or reproduction of our content is strictly prohibited.